0: Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to 1 Peter 5. We started the journey through the letter of 1 Peter some seven months ago now, in March of this year. If you're new to Sovereign Grace, that's kind of how we roll. We don't rush our way through the Bible. We want to enjoy the Bible and spend time in God's Word and understand it for ourselves. And for all of us that have been on this journey of 1 Peter, what a journey it has been, hasn't it? God has spoken to us. He continues to speak to us. He's comforting us and encouraging us and provoking us and giving us the gift of faith. Albeit, as 1 Peter is designed to, in the the realities of suffering, even as Christians. And this text before us today is no exception. God wants to speak to us, I believe, once again. So if you'd like a title for this message, if you're a note-taker, I've called this message, Resisting the Roaring Lion. And we're going to read together 1 Peter 5. We're actually going to focus into verses 8 through 11, but we're going to read from verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded. Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, as we come to your word again this morning, would you speak to us? Lord, it is through your word that you preach to us. It's why we owe to your word the same reverence that we owe to you. Because when we gather around your word, you are addressing us. So Lord, would you address us? Would you open our eyes this morning? Would you let the word do its work? And Holy Spirit, would you take these words and open our eyes? Encourage our faint hearts. Make us alert to what you might to make us alert to this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, just last week together, we saw the painful yet true reality that as sure as sparks fly upwards troubles for We will all face trials and difficulties in our lives. Christian and unbeliever alike, we all face things that are hard as we walk through them in our lives. There may be health challenges, there may be relationship challenges, there may be financial challenges or family challenges, there may be persecution and slander challenges like they are experiencing here as the original readers of 1 Peter. And yet what we discover here in verse 7 placarded before our eyes by Peter himself is the reality that as Christians we are cared for by God himself. And what a game changer that is, is it not? To know that God himself, almighty God, cares for us as Christians in the details of our lives with passion and with personal interaction. That's why we are encouraged by Peter to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Knowing he is good and sovereign and powerful and kind. It's why we are encouraged to cast our anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for us. Because in passionate and particular attention to our lives, he cares for us in our lives. As almighty God the Father, he comes after us and cares For us. And yet, what Peter wants us to make make aware of here in verses 8 through 11, what he wants to make us aware of and alert to is our shadowy foe. You see, as we go through our lives as Christians, particularly in the midst of suffering and seasons of difficulty, there is a danger on our lives. There is alarms going off around the place or at least there should be in our hearts because we all have a shadowy foe that quite literally wants to take you out. Yes, God cares for you. But there is one that wants to deceive you and lie to you and speak to you as if to say, no, he doesn't. And wants to cast aspersions on your life. Peter, therefore, wants to take us by the hand this morning and make us aware of and alert to our shadowy foe. And so I have three points. Number one, our shadowy foe. Number two, our appropriate response. And then number three, our sure eternity. But I really come to this morning with just one hope. And it is the hope that we really would all leave this morning as Christians more aware of. And alert to our shadowy foe. This is important stuff. It's why Peter includes it here in this text. It's why God speaks to us in this way. And so how important it is that we are aware of him. And are alert to him. And know how to respond to him. Three points then. Here's the first. Number one. Our shadowy foe. Graham Cole in his excellent book Against the Darkness says this, He says, so many Christians in the West live as though the story of creation involved in the main just two characters, just God and ourselves. I heard that quote some years ago and I couldn't agree with it more. In the West, I think we have a distinct temptation on our lives to think that in the main, our lives are about two things, Jesus and me. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his excellent book, The Screwtape Letters. And he talks about how one of Satan's tactics is to do one of two different things. He will either try and make people obsessed with him, so they're just obsessed with the demonic, they're obsessed with demons, they're obsessed with Satan, that they'll be drawn to him, or he will try and convince them that they don't exist at all. And he's equally pleased with both realities. Either get obsessed with him or don't think he exists. And in the West, I think we live in this camp. We tend to live as if he doesn't really exist. There is just two main characters in my life, God himself and me. But what Peter wants to draw our attention to here this morning is the reality is there are three main characters in your story. There is God himself, there is you, and then there is Satan who wants to do all he can to knock you off course. That's why we read in verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There are three main characters in your story, not two. John MacArthur writes about it this way. He says, It is so easy for believers, especially in the Western world, where the church is generally prosperous and respected, to be complacent. And become oblivious to the seriousness of the battle around them. They rejoice in victories that involve no battles. And a kind of peace that is merely the absence of conflict. Yet theirs is the victory and peace of the defector who refuses to fight. They're not interested in armor because they're not engaged in the war. But God gives no deferments or exemptions. Listen. For his people are at war. And will continue to be until Christ returns. My friends, that's the truth of scripture. Christians are at war and they will continue to be until Christ returns. We are all at war with Satan. We will continue to be until the return of Christ. And Satan then in all his power and his evil and cunning is warring against us. And as he does, he seeks to employ every piece of weaponry he can to lie to us. To blind us, to tempt us, to accuse us, to devour us. Listen, to take us down. God has a wonderful plan for your life. So does Satan. A wonderful plan for your life. And it is very different to the one that the Lord has for you. He wants to lie to you. Tempt you. accuse you. Pull you away. J.R. Packer writes about it this way. He says, by becoming Christians, you walked into a war. Satan's war against the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so you did. You are not a big deal in Satan's life, but God is. He hates everything about him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And because he hates him so much, when you gave your life to following him, that made you an object of his wrath as well. That made you somebody that he wants to take out. You love God? Well, I hate him, so I'm going after you as well. I'm coming after you. We are, as Christians, at war. We will continue to be till Christ returns and Satan wants to take you out. Listen, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so, Peter right towards the end of this passage, he wants us to be aware. There are not two main characters in your story. There are three. God, who we give our whole lives to, and you, as you seek to follow him, and Satan, who wants to do all he can to disrupt that. Everything. His weaponry is pointed on that reality. He is our Shadowy foe, and he will be until the day you die or until Jesus returns. And so, Peter wants us to be aware of that, and to be quite frank, I do think that here in the West we are often unaware of that. Unaware. Blase. Just me and Jesus. No. It is you, Jesus, and a shadowy foe. We must open our eyes. And yet at the same time as opening our eyes, we must understand that God does give us an appropriate response to him. God, in his mercy, doesn't just alert us to things and show us things and then say, all the best. You know, he he shows us things. And then he says, this is how you respond to him. This is how you'll be able to stand firm from him. This, in fact, is how you'll be able to respond to him in such a way that he will flee for you. And that's my second point. Number two, our appropriate response. The first part of our appropriate response then takes place at the start of verse 8, when we read, be sober-minded and be watchful. In light of the reality that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, what do we do? Well, first of all, we be sober-minded and we be watchful. That first phrase there, be sober-minded, we talked about that a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter 4, verse 7. To be sober-minded is to be clear-headed. It's to engage our minds, to understand what do I believe, to get dug down deep on God's word and be clear-headed so that when things happen in our lives and when the heat comes, we're ready, we're stationary, we're able to stand because we're clear-minded. Not just pulled in on everything and overwhelmed, but clear-minded. And at the same time as being clear-minded and clear-headed, we are then to be watchful. Watchful for these darts from the enemy that will come our way. Watchful for these lies, these accusations that will fly into our lives. Listen, we need to understand, church. Peter is not exhorting us here nor wanting us here to be anxious. He's not wanting us to be anxious about the reality of your shadowy foe. He's just addressed that in verse 6 and 7. We need to cast all our anxious, anxious realities on him because he cares for us. The fruit of our shadowy foe is not anxiety. No, he doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to be alert. Alert to his reality. Because you and I have a shadowy foe who hates us. This is not the language of a day out at the zoo. Okay, this is not, oh, there he is. Prowling around like a roaring lion. Thank the Lord, there's a big gate in front of me. No, this is not the language of a zoo. This is the language of a coliseum. This is a language of a Christian entering into the Colosseum and there he is. A roaring lion prowling around looking for somebody to devour. He doesn't want us to be anxious, but he does want us to be alert. Let me ask you, Christian, how alert are you to this shadowy foe? As you live your life, honestly, you aware of him? Are you alert to him? Are you watchful? Christopher Ashe, in his wonderful commentary on Job, talking about this reality of needing to be alert to the evil one, writes as follows. He says, when we wake up in the morning, what do we expect our day to be like? We may, of course, have expectations for a particular day. The prospect of a good party or apprehension about a visit to the dentist. That would certainly be me. But in general, what do we expect from a normal day? Indeed, for a Christian, what ought to be our idea of the normal Christian life? This is important because our idea of normality will govern whether we end up delighted or disappointed at the end of the day. Oh, so true. And then he gives advice as to how we would wisely think about our day. He says, For every morning, we ought to wake up and say to ourselves, There is a vicious, dark and spiritual battle being waged over me today. And Satan is very busy. Having studied Job for years, his counsel to us as Christians is this, and We should wake up in the morning to be aware, There is one who hates me today. There is one who wants to take me out today. There is a spiritual battle being waged over my life. And Satan is very busy. Church, do you wake up that way? Do you wake up aware that there is a spiritual battle being waged over your life today? The Apostle Paul talks about it in the book of Ephesians. He says, your battle isn't against flesh and blood. That's the least of your worries. Your battle is against spiritual forces, enemies who hate you, want to take you out. Listen, is that how you wake up? How alert are you to your shadowy foe? Because we need, my friends, to be alert. We need to be alert and ready, understanding. Is it today? These things that are coming into my mind... Are they the lies of the enemy trying to take me out this day? And as Peter pens this for us, I I submit to you that he wants us to be unheightened and red alert, in particular when we are suffering. See, this whole book, this whole letter is written to a group of people who are indeed suffering. They are being persecuted, they are being maligned, they are being slandered by those around them. Listen, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Your friends and family have rejected you. They hate you. It's all over Facebook how they feel about you. Everybody in X is talking about you. Because they hate you. They think you're an absolute jerk. They think you're living a lie. That's what these individuals, these men and women, are enduring in their lives. This whole text then is written to help bring comfort to them and hope to them and care to them, and indeed, then, us as well, knowing that we will suffer as well. And so, notice in verse 9, he says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He, once again, in the same breath of talking about Satan, wants to draw attention to their suffering. What he's doing there is he isn't just saying, hey, listen, be comforted. There are millions of people around the world that suffer. You're not alone. He's not just doing that. What he's trying to help them see is, listen, there is one who wants to take you out. There is a roaring lion that wants to cause you difficulty and lie to you. And here's what you need to be perceptive to. When you are suffering, his roar is loud. When you are going through difficulty, you need to pay careful attention to be on red alert to the lies of the enemy. Why? Because it is often then that his roar is the loudest to come after you. And experientially, church, wouldn't you say that is the case? Experientially, when you are going through difficulties, when you go through trials and troubles, what tends to occur? The roars regularly in the night. When you're alone, just you. And you think it's just you and God there in that moment. Oh no, there's a shadowy foe that wants to take you out because you're vulnerable and you're suffering. We need to be on heightened and red alert in particular when we are suffering. Puritan John Flavel writes about it this way. He says, our suffering time is his busiest working time. Many a dismal suggestion he then plants and grafts upon your afflictions, which in fact are more dangerous to us than the affliction itself. What a staggering statement. He's saying, listen, afflictions and troubles and suffering, it can be very hard, but it is not as dangerous as the lies that the evil one attacks and limps on to that suffering in that moment. That's what does the damage. Because that's the way Satan works. He wants to operate in the midst of our suffering. He wants to roar loudly to us with lies and suspicions and deceptions about the character of God and about how he feels about you and how he operates you. It is often in our suffering that Satan is the first in the queue to say, see, you think he cares? You think the God of love is with you now? I ain't feeling it. you feeling it because I ain't feeling it. Satan loves to get involved. He loves to lie. The church? What's the point in that? You are so head up at the moment, so stressed. Take some time off. Take a break. That's what you need. You need rest. God's word tells us we need to be around God's people. It's God's people that will strengthen us and encourage us and help us and ensure that we don't get deceived to Satan's lies. Satan says, Take a break. It is often when we are suffering that his roar, his deceptive, lying roar is the loudest. Sinclair Ferguson commenting, on this reality writes about this roar, when he says, Satan cannot ultimately destroy a Christian believer. What good news that is, isn't it? Satan can't destroy you. He can't remove you from the presence of God. If God chose you before the foundation of the earth and died in your place and is keeping you to the end, Satan can't destroy that. But he is well able to destroy our assurance and our joy and our pleasure in the gospel. For the most sinister thoughts Satan insinuates into our minds are not enticements to sin, but suspicions about God himself. He seeks to destroy our view of God and our understanding of his gracious character. Listen. For his plan is to blind us to God's grace and to diminish our trust in him, crushing our love for him and destroying all the pleasures of grace. So it is. My friends, we are to be alert. We are to be aware and alert to the evil one who wants to crush your love for the Lord, who wants to destroy all your pleasures of grace. He wants to blind you to the reality of God's presence in your life and diminish your trust in Him. In suffering, Satan roars the loudest. And so Peter wants us to know hey, heads up! Be alert! Be on your guard! Be watchful because even now he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to take out. My friends, we need to be alert. We always need to be alert. But we particularly need to be alert when we are suffering. How tempting is it when we are suffering to just think, you know what? I think I need a break from church. I think I need a break from our gospel community right now. There's just so much going on. (laughs) You ever experienced that? Why does that come at those times? Because Satan wants to take you out. Have you ever watched like shows, National Geographic, to see how lions operate? What do they do? They don't run into the herd. They look for the stragglers by themselves because they're the ones that are vulnerable. They're the ones that I'll take out. We need to be around God's people when we are suffering and we need the Lord We need to be daily sitting at his feet, reminded of who he is, because Satan will seek to cast aspersions on it again and again and again. Listen, understanding that Satan wants to take us out, we are then to be sober-minded, we are to be watchful, and then as we read in the opening words of verse 9, we are to resist him firm in our faith. That's what we are to do. We are to be sober-minded and watchful and then we are to resist him firm in our faith. Listen, just to ensure that there is no misunderstanding this morning, Satan is indeed a defeated foe. (laughs) So let's be very clear on that. There's no war going on where we're wondering, I wonder who's gonna win. No, we know who wins. Jesus wins. In Colossians 2 verse 15, we read, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I mean, what a happy reality. When Jesus Christ declared on the cross, it is finished. Boom, Satan, you lost. You are done. You are defeated for one day. Jesus will return and Satan will be removed from his presence and the presence of his people for all eternity. It's a fact It's coming. It's coming soon. Jesus will return and Satan will be removed from him and his people for all eternity. Why? Because Satan lost at the cross. He lost. He became disarmed by Jesus himself. He was declared a public spectacle. He was mocking them. Satan thought he won through the cross. Boom. Drop mic moment. You lost. This was always the plan. The very thing you were trying to stop was the very thing you had a hand in bringing about. Loser. Satan is a defeated foe. And yet, while we wait for the return of our Savior and King and the true winner of all, this defeated foe is seeking to make some final attempts not to win. he No, he can't do that. He's already lost. But to take people out. To cause the Lord as much dissatisfaction as possible. And to cause his people as much dissatisfaction as possible. He just wants to do damage. His days are numbered. But he is a demon scorned. and So he wants to do damage on the way down. And so we must resist him. We must resist. Edmund Clowney in his commentary says, The danger to the Christian is not that he is helpless, but that he will fail to resist. The danger is not that he hasn't given us all that we need. He has. The danger is we're unaware and unalert and we fail to resist. So we just get sucked in by the lies. Sucked in by all that is taking place. Edmund Hybert comments on the same thing in his commentary. He says to cower before the devil is to invite sure defeat. Yet resistance in faith procures his flight. For scripture urges believers to flee from various evils, but nowhere are they advised to flee from the devil. In their inner attitude, Christians should stand firm and unyielding like granite in resisting him. I love that last line. That's what we're to do as Christians. We're to stand firm, unyielding like granite in resisting him. How do we do that? Well, he tells us we resist him by standing firm in our faith. By standing firm. If you have come from a very, very charismatic church, they may have given you 20 other things to do more than that. But Peter just says, no, no, just stand firm. That's all you need to do. Be watchful, be alert, stand firm. Once again, this is the language of the Colosseum. It's the language of standing firm. It's the language of Ephesians chapter 6. Knowing that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Here's what you are to do. You are to attach the belt of truth. Attach the belt of truth to your life, knowing God is faithful, he is good, he is kind, he cares for you, he will never let you go. Attach the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that he sings over you, he has forgiven you of your sin. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because he has dealt with it in your place. Attach the belt of truth, attach the breastplate of righteousness, and then erect the shield of faith and sit tight. Do not yield, do not give in, resist him, stand firm. It's the imagery of the Colosseum. Once again, I think it's something that we don't do well in the West because we just hang out and go to the opera bar and drink Prosecco and get on with our lives. But this is a picture of the reality of our spiritual life. Satan wants to take you out. So we need to be aware of this reality. We need to be watchful of this reality. We need to be sober-minded. And when we become aware, I'm getting attacked. Stand firm. Get that shield of faith up. Stand firm. Do not leave your mark. And what will happen? Well, James actually tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7, he tells us that as we resist the devil in this way, the devil will flee from you. He will become aware. He is wasting his time with you. You have the shield of faith up. Those arrows are not piercing you. This is pointless. I will go on to someone else. So he will flee from you. He will leave you alone. Brothers and sisters, I would be remiss to make you think then that if you do that for a few seconds, he will leave you Sometimes this doesn't happen quickly. Sometimes this doesn't happen easily. Sometimes it doesn't happen quickly. Sometimes you have to spend a great deal of time under that shield. You know what the good thing is? While you stand under that shield, there is a Savior and King standing under there with you. Saying you're doing good. Keep trusting. He'll be gone soon. And I'm doing things in your life even now as you trust me. I'm with you. I will never leave you. Stand firm. It may not be quick. And listen, it may not be easy. You're in a fight. Fights aren't easy. Fights aren't going to work out, you know, sitting on a hotel lounger. No, you've got to stand and stand firm. But what I can promise you is the promise of Scripture that as you stand firm, He will flee from you. For each of us in the room, then, we do have a shadowy foe. A roaring lion who seeks to someone to devour. So how do we respond? Well, we, disp- we respond by being sober-minded, by being watchful, and by resisting him. Because as we do, he will flee from us. You know, this text, as I was thinking about it this week and studying it this week, it, it is, in some ways, a dark cloud, isn't it? <laughs> It's confronting. It's confronting. You know, in some countries where they're used to battles and wars all the time, this is less confronting. It's like, yes, this totally makes sense. For us, in like, you know, Pleasureville, it's a bit more confronting. But in the midst of this dark cloud, what Peter gives us right at the end is a ray of sunlight that flashes through. In the midst of a dark cloud of suffering, he now gives us a glorious ray of sunlight and he takes us in these closing two verses in 10, 11 to our sure eternity. And that's my third and final point this morning, our sure eternity. Look with me at verse 10. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Oh, brothers and sisters, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of battle, what a comforting reality to know that one day it will endure all come to an end. You see, in the opening chapter, right in 1 Peter 1, the opening, the, right at the start of the entire letter, in verses 3 to 5, this is what he says. Remember, he says, Blessed is the God and Father, Right at the start of the book, knowing that these people are suffering, knowing that they are having difficulties, he wants to help them and indeed us know, listen, heads up, the best is yet to come. This is not the best. This is not your best life now. Eh, Not going to work out. No, doesn't make sense in light of everything else he says. This is not your best life now. No, your best life is to come. Your best life is when you are with the Father. For you have been born again to that reality. You have been born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope that means that you are forgiven of your sin. You are redeemed by God. You are adopted into his family. And one day you will receive an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading, that even now is being kept in heaven for you. What a wonderful reality to know that in the midst of the hardship of life, the best is not this, the best is yet to come. The best is what awaits us there. And you will make it. Why? Because God in his grace, verse 5, is guarding you for that day. He's not just guarding your inheritance. He's guarding you. You will make it. You will pull through. He will keep you to the end. He's already established that reality then in chapter 1. And so it shouldn't surprise us that as the sun begins to set in chapter 5. He says the following in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while. Listen, he's not talking there about the length of your suffering. He's talking there about the little while of heaven. Since his resurrection and ascension and his return. That's the little while. It is your life after you have suffered for a little while in your life because we live in a sinful world. Listen, the God of all grace then who has called you to eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. Oh, my friends, what a joyful reality. One day we will all stand with the Lord Jesus Christ himself And in that moment, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. For in that moment, death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor any more suffering. Because the former things will have passed away. It will all be done. And in that moment, he himself then will look you in your eye. And he will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. And he will establish you. Oh, my friends, what a joyful reality. The best is yet to come. And one day you will receive from him the crown of glory. One day you will receive from him, welcome home. And he will wipe away every tear and restore you and confirm you and strengthen you and establish you. No wonder then. As Peter knows that, listen, this whole story only happened because God chose us before the foundation of the earth and then he died in our place, giving his life away as our substitute. And now he keeps us by his grace. No wonder that in verse 11 he can't contain himself anymore. It says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He can't contain himself anymore. In light of my whole life being about God, in light of my whole life being an abject reality of his care, in light of my whole life all culminating in the reality that the best is yet to come, that he's keeping me for, oh my, to him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. It's a cry of adoration, a cry of praise in reality to who God is, what he has done, and what he still does to this Brothers and sisters, as surely as sparks fly upwards, man is born to trouble. We shouldn't be surprised when trials come our way. As if to say, whoa, what's this happening? He's telling us it is called life. We shouldn't be surprised when things happen. We live in a broken world. But what we are also seeing right here placarded before our eyes is the reality that as Christians, we are cared for by God himself. That's why we're to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. That's why we're to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Passionately and personally and particularly, he cares for you. You're not just a number to him. You're not even just a name. You're a child. A child. That he died for. A treasured possession. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A son and daughter of God himself. And yet Peter wants us to be aware. That there is one who exists. That will seek to lie to you. That that isn't the case. Don't believe it. And he wants us to make us aware of. And alert to this shadowy this morning. Brothers and sisters, there are not two main characters in your story. There are three. God and you and Satan himself. And so I want to urge you, let's be ready to respond. Let's be sober-minded in our lives. Let's be watchful in our lives. And let us be ready to resist him and stand firm when the time arrives, knowing that he will flee from you. Peter And neither myself wants you to leave this room anxious. We can cast all our anxieties on him. But Peter, and indeed myself, does want this local church to be alert. This is real. We must be alert. As a church, I pray by the grace of God then for each and every Christian in the room, may we leave this room freshly alert. Freshly awake to the reality there is one who wants to lie to you and to take you out and devour you and rob you of all the joy and grace and peace that you can have in the reality that you have a father who cares for you. Let's be aware of him. Let's be alert. In the words then of J.R.R. R. Tolkien in The Hobbit, just to close, it simply does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I thank you for reminding us this morning of our shadowy foe. Lord, I thank you for drawing our attention to the realities of how you care for us. And then as you sit us down and you communicate to us, I thank you for warning us of this shadowy foe, how we will operate, how we will work in our lives and how we are to respond. Lord, all this is an expression of your care to us, to protect us, to keep us safe, to make us aware and to know how to respond. Lord, I pray the lasting effect of this message, I pray that it would be humbling to us, that we would realize afresh, I simply cannot do this by myself. I'm not gonna make it and run well by myself. Oh Lord, I need you. I pray the lasting fruit of this message would not only be that we would be alert and aware of the evil one, but that we would recognize our need for you. And say ever increasingly then, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord, we need you. So Lord, even now as we close in song, I pray that we would use this song to once again throw ourselves on you. To express our need for you. Lord, I thank you that you do indeed guard us and keep us safe. So may we be alert and ready so that we may do as you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, let's be upstanding. Let's respond in assurance.